Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure and pause to welcome the authors of the book called The Silver Bomb, The End of Paper Wealth is Upon Us, Beyond the Return of Metal as Money. We are inviting Michael McDonald and Christopher Whitestone to the show today. Michael McDonald is the owner of the Wholesale Gold Group, a national precious metals dealer. This is one of the important books of our time, though. You all know, if you've been listening to the show, that I read tons of books, that I'm deeply involved in finance and economics and investments, that I am like a pit bull when it comes to due diligence. I leave no stone unturned. And I want to lay this show out a little bit differently than I have in other types of shows, because the two gentlemen that are on the show today are going to share with you some things that you have not heard before. It has not been distilled to you quite the way it's going to be distilled to you today. But before we do that, I want to remind you, for those of you that don't know, that it's Rainmaking Time has interviewed the pioneers, the visionaries, the leaders in everything having to do with money in the world, money, finance, metals, investments, high-frequency trading, contractual law, international law, and covered statutes and acts and instruments that most of the time you'll never hear about. I've also questioned publicly in my interview with James Turk, who I adore and whose body of work, Gold Money and the Gold Money Foundation, I respect. I've asked very tough questions to him about what really is a free market. If you've listened to any of these shows, you know that I'm a tough cookie. And just because you're a leader in your field or you're knowledgeable about this subject does not mean I'm not going to ask you very tough questions that are taken for granted from people inside finance and economics. So... These two gentlemen have put together a book that you should all pick up, period, flat out. It's accessible. I'm literally recommending the book. You need to know the history of how things have unfolded. There are warning signs in this book, and the way that it's contextualized is very accessible and absorbable by anybody, whether you have financial knowledge or not. I want you to question your financial planners, your CPAs, who have not discussed these subjects with you, if they've been missing in the interaction with your experts, you need to question them and if, in fact, you're getting the right kind of guidance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the authors of The Silver Bomb, The End of Paper Wealth is Upon Us, Beyond the Return of Metal is Money. Welcome Michael McDonald and Christopher Whitestone to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Tim. Gentlemen, the first thing that I would like to ask you is that in your book, you articulate, of course, it's in context, it's up to 40 pages, but you say currency is not necessarily like money. And I really want you to contextualize this at the beginning for people because 99% of us really do operate as if currency is money. That's true. We are taught from early childhood that the paper dollars that, or if, if you're in another country, whatever that currency is, euros, yen, it doesn't matter. The paper money, as it's called money around us, is the representation of value. The problem with it is that that is an abstraction of a representation of value. Money in its most basic element is already an abstraction. And that is, the definition of money is that that is convertible for goods or services in equal and divisible units 
And paper money is a further abstraction of that. It is a representation of a representation. Yeah, a but derivative. It has it has come to be understood as as money. Our money is completely upside down from what money should be. Money should be a positive rep- representation. What I mean by that is goods and services have value. They re- they represent resources and human labor, and they have positive value. And when traded for currency or money, that money is therefore the positive representation. But the the so-called money that we operate with now is a negative money. It is created when a debt is incurred. The, the money that is created by the Federal Reserve System is incurred when loans are made through the Fed window. In other words, when a debt is incurred, then that money comes into being. It is automatically a negative or debt-based money. And that is something that is really hard for a lot of people to get their mind around, the fact that the, the money that we hold in our hand is not a plus, but a minus. Michael, do you want to respond to what Christopher just said? Beautifully stated. Um, I would maybe just simplify it in, in terms of this as, you know, money is a store of value. You know, paper currencies are not a store of value. You can, you can look at a, a dollar graph since uh, the Federal Reserve was enacted in 1913 to today, and you'll see in that graph that the U.S. dollar has lost roughly 98% of its purchasing power. Um, you know, a beautiful little story uh, that, you know, few, few people have heard, uh, but not the masses, is, you know, one ounce gold coin uh, back in the 20s, a $20 Liberty Head gold coin, one ounce, was equal to a paper $20 bill. Well, you fast forward to today, that one ounce gold coin is worth roughly $1,800. It can, it can buy a nice suit, Okay. A $20 bill can't even pay for the hem on a suit. So, you know, back in the 20s, they could both buy a, a nice suit. So you fast forward. So the one-ounce coin has stored value through that time where the U.S. dollar has lost value. So, hence, paper money is not, quote-unquote, real money because it's not a store of value. When I interviewed James Turk the second time about a month ago, I was talking to him about my tremendous annoyance with the fact that the concept of inflation and the concept of purchasing power is 98% missing from all discussion from investment advisors and CPAs to their clients and how if this is missing from the core of discussion, then there is no whole systems approach or relational approach to managing money and making money and replicating money and growing money. He had said basically in his vernacular that it's not their fault, that they're very much influenced by the propaganda and what it is that they're being told. It's missing from even their teaching. And so while purchasing power and the gain or the loss of it is a core part of understanding why metals are an intelligent, not only investment, but crucial to protect as a hedge against inflation, it's still a missing component in people's thinking. So what do you think that has to be done for it to become more centralized as a core issue or two core issues that need to be considered every time somebody invests their money? What do you think well, needs think, to be done? I think actually that awareness is, is already growing. Uh, m- many people are already becoming aware that uh, what they have trusted to 
their retirement funds or investment vehicles, et cetera, has not been kept safe. The, the purchase power that they have entrusted to their investments is losing ground. Any investment today that is not keeping pace with the real rate of inflation, which would be the loss of purchase power, and if you go to the uh, you know to the grocery store, you might find that it's uh, uh, certainly double digits. Uh, many believe that it is upwards of thirty to forty percent at this current moment. So any investment that is not keeping pace with that, and you show me an investment that's pulling a forty percent return, and and I will uh, I will certainly gladly eat every word here. But uh, at this point. Uh, I can't see anything in, in far, as far as a paper investment, which is in any way keeping pace with that rate of inflation. That loss of purchase power, exactly what you said. The, the two primary actual meaningful aspects of an investment, whether or not it is, number one, entrusting the value held to it and able to create a return on that investment, and number two, uh, is it even keeping pace with money that is doing nothing, sitting still, uninvested? And at this point, it's it's simply not. Some of the best payers out there showing you know double digit returns in the low double digits are simply the best of the worst. I've heard a joke bandied about quite often lately that the U.S. dollar is the worst currency in the world, except for all the others. <laughs> As funny as that is, it's absolutely true. All currencies are locked in a death grip together. They cannot allow their individual currencies to appear any stronger than any others, and so the debasing race is on the proverbial race to the bottom. If that continues and there's no indicators of anything on the horizon that's going to change it, then we simply have the systematic removal of the value of each individual piece of denominated currency out there as more and more pumped in on top of it. Simple supply and demand. More of anything equals less value. The thing is that the average person relates to their bank, relates to their saving and checking account, relates to currency as being protected as long as it's, quote, close at hand or geographically accessible. So there's this psychology to safety. There's this illusion of safety because it's in something close to you or the big name on the bank, et cetera. And so this is subconscious for most people. They don't realize that they are extending blind trust to their banks, to their saving and checking account, and to the currency. Do you agree with me? Sure. We're taught to trust all of the major institutions around us, you know, our elected leaders, our courts and police the monetary systems, the banks, they all have what we've turned in the silver bomb, a pro-cultural bias. In other words, people have an automatic trust factor uh, and are slow to believe or slow to hear any of the uh, copious evidence of, you know, malfeasance and fiduciary irresponsibility around us. It's simply not reckoned by those who uh, have no alternative to trust, N- nothing else to put their trust in is what I'm saying, as far as they know. I've been given this very interesting argument by people who say, look, metals are heavily manipulated too. The COMEX manipulates, 
They all manipulate. The Fed manipulates. They suppress the price of silver and then they turn around and they buy it and then they hoard gold. You know, we're dealing with double agents, really. And because trust is a key thing in a debt-based economy, they've got to maintain this illusion that they can be trusted. But we know from evidence from GATA and from other organizations that not even the rating agencies can be totally trusted. We are now at a point where there's so much chaos. I would say the average person in the public doesn't know or doesn't believe or doesn't see that China is incrementally getting out of doing anything with U.S. denominated currencies. Japan is getting out. Russia is dumping the dollar. That this is a quiet but speedy exit. And because this is imperceptible, people don't put all the pieces together and say there's something wrong. The other thing is, and I know you know this both from the book and from what you both do for a living, that because the metals have been manipulated and suppressed, both gold and silver, when people go to look at it as an investment, they're still stuck in the price of the thing. Well, I'll wait till it goes down and I'll wait till this. They don't understand what's really afoot here. And I'd like you to discuss it. Michael, can you say something about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, there, there's a lot to say about <laughs> what you just stated. Um, but first off, um, let me jump back to the the illusion of money that we're all stuck in. Um, you know, I'm reading a, a headline. It's, it's dated from uh, 21st of September. Um, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, City Repeatedly Hacked by Iran, Sources. Now, whether Iranian hackers are actually hacking into the largest financial institutions on the planet, who knows? Maybe it's a, a false flag, um, and, and they're just trying to blame Iran on it to give us an excuse to go in there. The bottom line is, if you research all of the um, financial institutions that have gone, on, gone offline, that have been hacked into, including the CIA, um, there is a tremendous problem with hacking um, and uh, viruses getting into these financial institutions. Not just financial, but we're talking about financial right now. So how easy moving forward with the technology that we have today, and I'm sure black op government technology is light years ahead of what we know of, how easy is it for them to just turn off the lights on Bank of America or J.P. Morgan or Citigroup, and all of a sudden you wake up and you have zero in your account. And we've already seen that with MF Global, uh, amongst others. So money and wealth in our society is an illusion. And unless you have money in hand accessible to you, you don't have real money. You have an illusion of wealth, a digit on a computer screen on some server somewhere that can be hacked into. If the CIA's website is being hacked into, why can't you know your wealth be hacked into as well? So you know this is this is where yes, the the metals market is manipulated. But what isn't manipulated? We found out that the at the highest level of banking, going to central banks and the Federal Reserve, is the is the LIBOR rate. So, uh, or LIBOR, however you yes. want to pronounce yes. it. Say what it is for people who are not familiar with what happened. The interest rates are being, um, you know, artificially manipulated. Um, you know, um, you know, but in a, in a nutshell, you know, just to, to keep on track here, 
everything out there in the financial sector has been proven. This isn't a conspiracy theory. If you if people want to do the the research, and within 15 minutes they will find the facts that the stock market is manipulated, interest rates are manipulated, precious metal prices are manipulated, um, you know bonds are manipulated, um, and yes, China, Russia. Uh, and the like are getting out of, of U.S. debt. Um, it is a slow-moving moving train wreck that the mainstream media isn't properly reporting. Um, so, you know, you know, coming full circle on this, um, you know, the digits that we, we see when we log into our Bank of America account or our Chase account um, is just an illusion. And I, I have this hunch that we're going to see some sort of, um, it could be a you know a false flag or it could be just a straight out cyber attack by you know one of our enemies taking down the financial system. And I have this feeling that we're going to wake up to where millions of people cannot access their online bank accounts, and it's those that have physical money in their possession are the ones that are going to weather this this storm that's. The other thing is that metals, it's kind of a paradox. They're purchased typically with currency, so with not the real thing, right? And they are relational in the sense that there's always a connection to what that metal is in U.S. dollars or pounds or some type of other currency. In other words, the price of gold today is worth X, right? based on the spot price of gold today, which is usually denominated in a U.S. currency. Let's just say in two scenarios, a currency doesn't disappear, but the purchasing power is so bad, so terrible, you get so little for it that it doesn't mean anything or it doesn't mean as much anymore. So that's an invisible but yet an obvious thing. But let's talk about the scenario of a currency going away. Okay, whether it's hyperinflating or whatever it's doing, it goes bust. I would like to take a little crack at that. Sure, uh, sure. Go ahead, Christopher. The one thing that I saw in my uh, my short fifty three years here on planet Earth is that uh, currencies come and go. I was in the U.S. Navy in the late seventies. I was a West Coast sailor, so I saw Asian nations, twenty twenty one different Asian nations, and virtually everywhere I went had a legal tender national currency in circulation, but everywhere I went, they preferred the strong, at the time, strong U.S. dollar greenbacks that were in my pocket. I could go into any restaurant, hotel, anywhere in the world with dollars and and get what I needed, even though uh, you could also exchange for the local currencies, be it you know Thai baht or Philippine peso or whatever it was. You would see those in circulation with, at the same time, the U.S. dollar circulating in a parallel sort of a shadow currency. It wasn't legal tender. It was, you could not pay your local taxes with it, but every shopkeeper, restauranteur, et cetera, preferred it. We may be looking at a scenario like that with the uh, weakening Western currencies to where we, we see uh, stronger currencies, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull the plug off it here, uh, such as a gold-backed renminbi or yuan, Chinese currency, yes, yes, begin to circulate worldwide. That is their intent. That's their stated intent to make the, the yuan an international currency, just like the U.S. dollar used to be. 
the U.S. dollar had a great run, but uh, we are now basically instead of a you know positive precious metal backed currency, we are now uh, a representation of insurmountable debt. And I mean insurmountable. It is simply a case of mathematics. There is no amount of taxation. There is no amount of government spending cuts that can repair the problem. We simply owe more with the interest that is required than uh, than can. And we've already surpassed the tax base with just the mandated entitlement pay, uh, Social Security, Medicare, all of the mandated entitlement programs and the interest have already surpassed i mean the you know the uh, congressional budget office in 2010 said that that may happen by 2025 in 2010 they told us this in 2011 we surpassed the tax base this year uh it's it, it, it's ridiculous we're uh, you know close to 300 billion dollars uh behind behind the taxes and and We've seen tax rates all over the map. We've seen personal tax rates from, you know, from 15 to 90 percent. We've seen corporate taxation from 15 to 50 percent. And it doesn't matter at what rate taxes are levied. They never collect more than just about 17, 17 and a half percent of GDP. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. No matter what the state of the economy is, there will always be time-honored traditions and special events. The Sterling Hut has been in business since 2008, offering a wide range of fantastic sterling silver products, including finely crafted mint julep cups, personalized baby shower gifts, photo albums, exquisite jewelry boxes and awards, and so much more. The Sterling Hut is an authorized Silver Star international reseller of fine silver products and anniversary gifts. The business is owned by Jewel and Bob Howard. If you would be interested in buying someone a gift of pure sterling silver or sterling plated silver, you can call 1-888-819-1009. Get a 15% discount by going to the Sterling Hut, the Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, Hut, H-U-T, dot com, and saying it's rainmaking time. They will honor a 15% discount for you. Beautiful sterling silver gifts for all of life's occasions. Manufactured in Italy and handcrafted by skilled artisans. They can also be engraved in sterling picture frames, oval and rectangular silver trays, champagne ice buckets, silver goblets, coffee and tea service, coffee pots, silver mugs, candelabras, and silver jewelry unrivaled in design and style. Go to the Sterling Hut at sterlinghut.com. And back to the show. So isn't it a fake instrument to be out there in economics to say that we need to get this debt down? Isn't it a fraud then? The whole thing, it's like a moving number. It's a fraud. It it is a moving number. And and all of this current uh, fiscal cliff conversation is smoke and mirrors because there is there's simply no way to even affect these numbers i mean we are 16 trillion dollars in debt you know the the interest payments on and the primary holders of the debt are foreign holders primarily the kind the chinese government i mean that can never be overlooked 
Why should we be burdened with that? Isn't this the people that are pulling the strings that created this debt? Why should we have our currency or our money tied to any of this? It's a joke. It is a joke. And yet we have entrusted our uh, Congress and senators to give or take power from the currency issuance authority, which is the Federal Reserve. Uh, They have chosen to leave those powers intact and allow them freehand uh, currency manipulation and and uh, issuance, and all of the debt which is incurred essentially is called all of our debt. It is our national debt. Not that we instigated it directly, but we are nonetheless responsible. And that is, you know, that is an issue. If you look at the uh, the tax base as it is today, where you know, we've had these numbers bandied about to where uh, 48% of our populace is essentially not paying taxes but receiving government benefits of some kind, and something like 40% is paying all of the taxes with an additional 5 to 8% that are not receiving government benefits but are also not taxpayers. The bottom line is basically half the people in this country are receiving from the other half of the people in this country. And you can put that wherever you want. It is, to me, not a political or ideological argument. It's simply a mathematical argument. If half your taxpayers are not paying taxes, then it really doesn't matter how much you raise the taxes on the other half. It's a zero-sum game because the payments internally as well as the payments externally, the debt will never be caught. The fact that interest is on top of this exploding debt that we're having to assume and absorb Once you add interest, compounding interest, it's over. The whole thing is over, even for much smaller numbers. It's not going to happen. Since the central banking really came out of the Bank of England, I was wondering if, Christopher, you could talk about this model, kind of how it started. And then I want to contextualize for the audience what happened with Benjamin Franklin and the colonial script, because history is so instructive. And you gave so many examples, both of you, in this book about how history is unfolded and how even the American Banking Association got together with the banks and decided how they were going to destroy the economy. Can you talk a little bit about how central banking came from the Bank of England and how this model has been instituted all over? Just give an example. In the early years of the formation of the United States, uh, one of the primary voices of the time was Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton began as a clerk for the Bank of England. He learned the model which had been developed in England of a central bank, which was a privately owned institution, it's not part of the crown, privately owned institution which had as its members other banks and financial institutions. In other words, the concept of a head and you might say tentacles, all centrally you know, tied together. That model began in England, certainly, and was immediately carried over here. When, when this country was being formed, you had Hamilton and Sayed and others who believed that the bankers knew best. Uh, I believe they still think that. Uh, and that it, is, that it was foolhardy to allow politicians to attempt to create financial policy. That same attitude is still with us today, where we have Ben Bernanke saying that any government oversight, any congressional audit or anything of the Fed would harm the national interest because the Congress is not qualified to know 
what bankers do, etc. Even those simple calls for an independent audit, a third-party audit, which has no congressional change involved, simply a, an opening up of the books, uh, has been resoundingly denied, always with the, uh, with the idea that the banks know better. And one of, the, one of the things we mentioned in our book, the colonial script uh, spoken about by Ben Franklin, when he was over in France, uh, he was uh, basically advocating for the new United States in Europe through his contacts in France. And one of the things that he wrote was that one of the main reasons for the decision to go to war, the decision to rebel against England, was based upon England having taken away the colony's capacity to issue their own currency. At that time, it was a, it was a uh, colonial script, square stamp, a stamp, a square stamp known as a colonial script. Yes. And it worked fine as long as they didn't overissue it. And there are many people who are not fond of the gold or precious metal backing of currency so long as the amount of it, the amount of notes of whatever particular denomination, whatever particular currency, that, that the amount of it is regulated more than what it's backed by. And that really is the formula which has destroyed all fiat currencies, is over-issuance. And the colonial script was tightly monitored and was working well. It was a, an example of essentially a fiat currency, but one that was not produced in more numbers than could represent the goods and services that were effectively in trade at that time. And that's really the that's really the the, the underlying factor behind uh, you know the decision to cast off the yoke of England and to form this, this country independently was the right to issue our own currency. Now that has been given to the banks again. We have a quote in the front of our book from the smartest man I've ever read, Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to go ahead and read that quote. I'm sure many people have heard it already, but it goes like this. I sincerely believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. If the American people ever allow private banks to control their currency, first by inflation and then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all their prosperity until their children will wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Do you think, Michael, that this is the reason why Lincoln was murdered, that he issued greenbacks that were not controlled by the bankers? Oh, yeah, yeah, most. I mean, I mean, it's hard to say yes, but um, I, would, I would say most certainly yes. If I had to bet on it, I would say certainly yes. Um, you know, and, and it's, I find it fascinating how hypnotized and conditioned the world population is to have the most powerful agency in the world to date, which is the Federal Reserve, be completely private and unregulated for the most part, controlling the value of money globally, because it's, you know, as you know, it's the world reserve currency. So the value of the U.S. dollar pretty much, you know, sets the foundation for everything else. Um, but it's just fascinating to me how not just Americans, but the world population has been hypnotized and 
conditioned into not even asking the questions of why. Why is the most powerful agency in the world secret in such a manner that we don't even know who owns it? You know, we know the 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 the, the face card. You know, the the front man, so to speak. You know, right now it's Ben Bernanke, but. Um, you know, we don't even, you know, there's a few of us, there's a, you know, we call the, 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 the fringe that actually asks this question of why. But hopefully uh, we will wake up as a world consciousness and, and start asking these questions of, of why do we have the secret agency controlling the power of money on the planet. Some people have said, Michael, that Congress gave them permission to come into being. Now, how that happened was its own very interesting tale of things. Do you know how that happened? Sure. Well, yeah, the whole Jekyll Island story that we talked well, about. Well, just how, yeah. I mean, how did the Federal Reserve actually get through in the middle of the night in a lame duck session in Congress? It was uh, during the Christmas break. Always. In the middle of the night, yes, and it was essentially voted in with quorum and proxy votes. Uh, very little, if any, public under, understanding or awareness that it was even occurring. And just like so many other things that are bills that uh, are still being written while they're being voted on or that you'll be able to read after it's been passed. I wanted to uh, kind of snap back to that quote that I quoted, the Thomas Jefferson quote. I think we're seeing it in actual practice right now. During the early part of this past decade, uh, we began to see an acceleration of lending in low-cost loans uh, given to people who were barely or unqualified. Uh, many of them were referred to as ninja loans or liars loans, uh, no-income, no-asset loans, loans that borrowers could never could never repay uh doomed to fail mortgages now multiply that times millions of ninja liar loans and you suddenly have uh bundles of mortgages that are in various stages of default which are then uh assembled into financial instruments known as mortgage-backed securities now here's a very interesting part of the negative positive money thing to where we now have a debt, a mortgage, which is being bundled and sold as a security. Right. Like it's called a MERS mortgage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. MERS mortgage. There's now that I want to get to that in a minute. The MERS, the mortgage electronic registry system is part and parcel. And none of this could have happened without it. And none of this also could have happened with what, without what Michael uh, mentioned earlier, which is the electronic banking. Wait, before you go into that, I just want to say one thing for the audience. For those of you who have not heard, we did not one but two shows on the MERS mortgage electronic registration, where you will learn about how the Justice Department, Freddie and Fannie Mae, actually colluded for this to happen. And it was the destruction of real estate throughout America and the destruction of real estate law. Please continue, Christopher. Absolutely. Yes, these these mortgage-backed securities, uh, first of all, you had, you had mentioned, Kim, earlier how the credit rating agencies are questionably... They're involved. ...trustable at this point, because all of this, all of these mortgage-backed securities were bundled as AAA paper, uh, the best zero or no-risk investments that could be made, AAA paper. 
They were then sold to uh, retirement funds, to you know, municipal uh, bond deals, uh, police, fire, teacher retirement, all of these uh, fund managers that were then enticed to put their clients' funds, that's people's retirement money that they worked their entire lives for, into these useless derivatives, uh, which were, in essence, a debt sold as an asset. You then get the entire Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, bubble burst. You get the, uh, you know, the death of Countrywide and, you know, uh, all of these uh, Bank of America loans that were all of a sudden uh, on the front pages where people had paid off their mortgages, but they couldn't trace down the, pe- the, pa- the paper for it because it had been chopped up and sold as part of multiple mortgage-backed securities. They wouldn't sell the entire mortgage debt in one instrument, but they would chop it up and sell a piece here, a piece there. So chasing down the actual deed is, <clears throat> is rendered impossible. And on top of that, then you get the, uh, the banks, one at a time, uh, announcing that financial Armageddon is upon us if we do not bail them out. Uh, we get the, the term no one thought could ever be in existence, too big to fail. The too big to fails, all uh, screaming first for, you know, $700 billion, and then uh, $787 billion. And then we've got uh, QE1 and QE2 and Operation Twist, and now we've got the $40 billion a month forever uh, open-ended QE3, mortgage-backed security buying. Let me ask you something. At the present rate, which is, uh, well, $35 billion left over from Operation Twist per month, and when that runs out, continued with $40 billion. So right now, $75 billion a, a month. In mortgage-backed security purchases, how long will it take to buy every piece of property in this country? You know, it's a perfect setup. This private agency that we don't even know who owns it will end up owning the majority of the real estate in America. Don't you think at this point that it's already done? A part of this is already done. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a few years ago there was an article all over the Internet and in many of the newspapers that China was given the U.S. real estate market in lieu of paying back some of the debt that the United States owes China. Is that true or is that a rumor? Well, I'll tell you what is true, uh, and that is that some 60% of the debt is owned by China. If these mortgage-backed securities, which represent real mortgages, are being monetized at $75 billion a month and are essentially pulled into the skirts of the Federal Reserve as a re- representation now of the value of the Treasury notes which are owed, then those mortgages become collateral against those Treasury notes, don't they? If that's so, then the U.S. has already been sold. And put, put two and two together. So the U.S. has been sold. The U.S. has been sold and has been sold and, and has been sold paid for by, by the mortgagers themselves. The people who paid their monthly notes faithfully year after year after year who then cannot prove that they own the title to these properties, some of which were paid off, like with the uh, Bank of America. There was actually five banks altogether with the Bank of America that were censured for having foreclosed when the original mortgage had been completely paid off 
and there was nothing owed. And there was, you know, we had stories of little old ladies barricading themselves inside their house while the sheriffs sent by the bankers were there to foreclose them. And when she had no note, you know, just little snapshot pictures of Americans in distress and distress caused by bad bank behavior. We're at the helm now of a totally contaminated, polluted system at every level. A corruption bubble that is doomed to pop. Not in the eyes of, the, of any federal investigative body, as far as I can see. The uh, Treasury Department doesn't seem concerned. Uh, there's been no crimes, uh, nobody to charge. You get you know, the whole MF Global story is a perfect example of the money goes missing and nobody knows where. And nobody asks why. And nobody says anything after it. And we just move on like, I guess this is the new normal business as usual. Well, or even on September 10th, trillions of dollars went missing from the comptroller's office. This goes on all the time. I wanted to read something to you that was on page 61 about bankers crashing the economy that really sends a message to people that do not pay attention to history and what's afoot are going to deal with. And if you gentlemen don't mind, I'd like to read it. In 1891, it was then decided by the bankers to collectively pull the plug on the economy using the tools already at their disposal. Orders were sent in a memo to the directors of all the ABA banks that on a particular day, three years in the future, the banks were going to work in unison to crash the economy. That memo was revealed before Congress a few years later and is recorded in the congressional record of which an excerpt reads, this is chilling. On September 1st, 1894, we will not renew our loans under any consideration. On September 1st, we will demand our money. We will foreclose and become mortgagees in possession. We can take two-thirds of the farms west of the Mississippi and thousands of them east of the Mississippi as well at our own price. Then the farmers will become tenants as in England. 1891 memo to members of the American Bankers Association is printed in the congressional record of April 29th, 1913. That's right. People that will not look at how the entire system has unfolded and manifested will be part of the doom as it's repeating itself. Gentlemen, Michael in particular, I have a question also. I want to cut to some of the information on Germany on page 56, you talk about the runs on the German gold and the end of the silver thaler marked the death of one of the oldest currencies around. Bismarck took the German empire off the silver standard in 1871, and this had a ripple effect around the world. I want to talk about why this particular currency was around so long and the effects of taking it off the silver standard had on its economy. Michael, do you want to comment on this? In short, I mean, the reason why it was around for so long is because it was a silver standard. You know, to be fair, you know, this is a chapter that Christopher really expounded upon. Okay, good. He could go into detail yeah, on it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you, know, you know, in a nutshell, you know, it was a silver standard backed in silver. So, of course, it had a, a longstanding history to it. But, Christopher, if you yeah, could I thought go into detail. Was... Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Christopher. I thought this was really, really important. This is an example of a longstanding currency. Explain what happened to the public. It really was a long-standing currency. And to be fair, uh, Chancellor Bismarck uh, was reacting to pressure from from the central bank uh, within his own country, similar to Nixon's actions 
here in 1971, taking us off the gold standard. This was not a decision he made on his own. Uh, this was a result of much pressure from multiple channels. But when Chancellor Bismarck took the German Empire off of the silver standard, it essentially killed the silver market worldwide because there had been now an end of a great amount of silver demand, which glutted the market, ended up trashing the price of silver by simply demonetizing it. Uh, that was followed suit here, basically, in an intentional act. The Bank of England sent over a financial hitman by the name of Ernest Sayed, uh, who did the same thing, which was to bring about the demonetization of silver. The title of this chapter is, like, gold and silver have been the money, of, have always been the money of history, and why banks hate them. And the very simple idea is that precious metal backed currency cannot be fractionally divided like an electronic or imaginary currency contained either in paper notes or decimal places in a, in a computer. And, you know, the, the metal-backed currency, it was visible. If it were uh, more loaned out than, than could possibly be, uh, you know, fractionally collateralized, then it was, it was visible. Uh, now we have vaults that no one can look into, even the owners of the metal in them. Uh, back to Germany, back you know, back to the future here. Uh, we've got the Bundesbank trying to get a peek at their gold. At the end of World War II, when Germany was cut in half, uh, Western nations taking hold of Western Germany before the fall, before the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, the gold in Germany, much of which had been carries carryovers from the Nazi regime, uh, likely much of that was stolen, likely most of that was stolen. But the bottom line is it was uh, happily divided out between the British, uh, the Americans, and the French. And uh, that gold was physically moved, supposedly to keep it safe from a Russian land invasion. But in reality, it was simply taken out of Germany and parked in those nations that had the right to divide the spoils of war, I guess you might say. And now Germany wants to see their gold. They want to actually view the tonnage of gold that is supposedly parked at, in the vaults of the New York Federal Reserve. And they were kindly told, forget about it. They were, they were turned away with their hats in their hands as if they were some kind of backroom clerk, errand boy, uh, absolutely rude behavior, told you don't need to see the gold. It's safe. There was a movement a while back to audit the Federal Reserve holdings of gold, and they made a big to-do about showing the vaults of the Fort Knox. Nobody was even questioning whether or not there was any gold in Fort Knox. That's been, <laughs> that's been gone for years. Uh, the only thing that's securely stored in Fort Knox, you come to understand, is nerve gas. That's frightening. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the... You know, the, the concept of the demonetization of silver, which was the beginning of the chipping away of the foundations of the currency of the United States. We have since then had a systematic stripping of backing value behind the dollar. You know, the removal of the gold from the possession of the American public uh, with the removal of gold coin and gold certificates in 1933, known as the confiscation wasn't really a confiscation. It was a forced buyback. Bottom line is uh, any realized gains after that were lost, except by those who had the either 
heads up warning or crystal ball capacity to see this coming and move lots of gold out of the country just before the confiscation, which then could be brought back after the 50% reevaluation. One notable character was John Pierpont Morgan, who took tons of gold to England and then brought it back right after the reevaluation. Uh, took it away at $20.60 an ounce and brought it back at 35 Instant realized gains. Uh, whereas the rest of the populace, it was illegal to hold. And therefore, you know, nobody here in this country was able to do that. So let me ask you something then. In the context of that, and as we all see the writing on the wall and the level of corruption, as Michael said, there's a corruption bubble. And because they secretly hoard gold and silver, right, even though they suppress the prices, the question is, aside from buying the actual maybe pre-1933 coins or coins in general, why would anybody in the United States want to or have trust in owning silver or gold bars if this could happen again? You know, can I jump in there for yeah, a second? Yeah, please, please do. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, especially now that we're we're starting to see more and more uh, gold bars in particular um, being uh, fabricated. You've probably heard the, the recent 10-ounce bars in New York coming up. But there, I think there yeah, were pants with right? bars that were, uh, you know, tungsten right. filled. I mean, there's there's companies in China that you know, advertise to the public that we will make, you know, gold, any gold product you want or silver products you want that are phony. And they will replicate it to look exactly like whatever product you want them to fabricate. So moving forward, you know, um, you know, we've even had discussions of, you know, do we, you know, we want to sell bullion products moving forward, thinking that there could be a liquidity issue at some point in the future, meaning we don't want phone calls saying, hey, um, you know, we hear that there's a lot of fake uh, gold and silver products out there. How do I know mine's real? You know, if you've got, you know, Pam Swiss bars showing up um, with numbers on them that are wrapped in tungsten, then how can anybody be sure that their bullion product is, is real without, you know, saying it or testing it? So yeah, this this could be a huge problem. I mean, I personally have been buying um, you know pre thirty three gold and silver coins since two thousand and eight. You know, I've been doing this a long time, so I'm diversified in both modern bullion products and and pre thirty three products. But um, you know, the fabricators are going to go after what's easy, and it's the nice shiny brand new coins and bars, which are the easy targets. And once this really accelerates and we see the, the price really starting to, to move up again, uh, we're going to see a, a lot more of these corrupt individuals coming on the market with, you know, fake bullion. Um, so this is, this is a predicament. And, um, you know, I've, you know, for myself and my, my own family, I've been, um, you know, diversifying in the pre-33, even though there is a premium on it. But at least there isn't a problem in that sector. And I have a feeling that it's going to be much more liquid uh, down the road. I had heard that gold money put every single bar through one of those very expensive machines that authenticates 
everything has to go through this machine to see if it's real gold because of what happened at Fort Knox and other locations. Not every dealer, as trustworthy as you are, can pay for one of those machines. I don't know what they cost, but they're not cheap. Starting is right around 30 grand. There you go. For a basic. So in order to be in the game of the bullion, you'd have to be using that and that would have to be accurate and all that. And that's fine. But I understand what you're saying. There's a lot of people now getting in and opening up vaults and saying we can store your gold and your silver and your metals here. Just from what history is showing us, yes, it's still better to be in these metals, but in this particular environment, this is part of where the action is, right? This is one of the key central nervous systems. Of course, the other is London, correct? Exactly. And soon to be further east, uh, something that we haven't even mentioned is the acquisition of the London Metals Exchange by the Hong Kong Mercantile Exchange. Let's talk about that. And I also want to talk about the fact that the New York Stock Exchange was purchased. Now, some say that was a rumor or it's incomplete. It's not done yet. And I want you to also comment on that. But go ahead. Talk about that, Christopher. Say what you said again for us. Well, essentially, uh, after the Metals Expo in August, the CEO of the London Metals Exchange announced that the board had unanimously voted to... Uh, sell the London Metals Exchange, which is where the morning spot prices are fixed right now, uh, to the Hong Kong Mercantile Exchange. Now, understand uh, the Hong Kong Mercantile Exchange is directly monitored by the Chinese government. That is essentially looking eye-to-eye with China. That cannot be forgotten. I, I, I repeat that all eyes should be on China right now. And that is essentially because they are the the most important, most powerful uh, player in the world right now, second to the U.S. Here in the U.S., unfortunately, we have an isolationistic, a natural, maybe it has to do with uh, being part between uh, shining seas and uh, being sort of uh, separate from the older European model, etc. But we have always considered ourselves alone in the world. I mean, we, we play the World Series of baseball all by ourselves. And that attitude extends, if you will, into uh, into our, uh, our thoughts about banking and, and the way the world works. Unfortunately, uh, something that Michael said earlier is, is absolutely true, which is that we are already electronically in a completely interconnected one world order. All banking and and financial transactions happen at the speed of light and are completely internet, you know, borderless. There is no such thing as international borders, especially when it, when it comes to the movements, like we were talking about all the nations that are beginning to bypass the U S dollar and to bypass the, uh, the U.S. SWIFT banking system. Partly, I believe, this has been caused by what what I consider a, a real political backfire, which is the uh, SWIFT sanctions against Iran, which have done essentially nothing but force Iran to find alternatives, and they were able to gladly find uh, the countries that would trade for their oil, uh, trade oil for gold, and allow them to trade that gold for food and all the things that we have attempted to cut them off from, uh, they have found other sources. What it has done is invited other countries to simply do an end run around us. 
and that was certainly not the original intent. The intent was to pressure Iran, and that, that pressure is essentially non-existent now. Uh, what is happening is now the whole SWIFT banking system is in jeopardy, spearheaded by the Germans, and I think this is probably in a quiet reaction to being snubbed when they came to ask for their gold. But the Germans have begun a peer-to-peer banking system with not just a couple of clearinghouse channels here in the United States through which all financial transactions have to pass, but thousands of peer-to-peer, point-to-point, bank-to-bank clearing uh, and settlement, which would be a truly international banking system. So birthed out of the uh, backfire of the SWIFT sanctions on Iran, I think is going to be an entirely new global banking system, uh, essentially bypassing the Federal Reserve. They'll let us play the World Series all by ourselves over here. Well, you know, and, and to add to that, you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Kim, you, you mentioned earlier about the New York Stock Exchange, um, you know, being bought by, um, I can't pronounce this correctly. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. <laughs> Deutschborsch yeah. is what I'm going to say. Deutschborsch. Um, yeah, it's Deutschborsch. Deutschborsch. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, I'll read this, um, you know, Deutschborsch AG's $9.53 billion all-stock purchase of New York Stock Exchange parent, New York Stock Exchange Euronext, creates the world's largest owner of derivatives markets and may spur additional mergers. So basically, it looks like you know, Germany is uh, basically becoming in control of the world's largest equities and der- derivatives market. So it's going to... And also knowing how Germany is demanding to see their gold holdings, it's going to be interesting to see how Germany comes out of this hurricane that we're about to enter. Because it sounds like they're they're positioning themselves to be a, a dominant player. This is a question that I also asked James Turk. It'll be a little bit different because we're talking about silver here. But you say that of all the silver ever mined, which is around 50 billion ounces, only about 1 billion ounces or 2% of it still remains above ground with the rest having been consumed as an industrial metal. Compare that to gold, which has been kept and not consumed like silver, so that of the 5 billion or so ounces of gold that has ever been mined, about 2 billion ounces or double the amount of silver is still around. One of the emphasis of this book is that we're running out of above-the-ground silver at the same time it exists in the Earth's core, right? And silver is something that's used for all these industrial applications for devices. So it's very important. But there's this emphasis that the world is running out of silver and that even the silver that's being mined now isn't as high a quality, isn't as good as what was mined years ago. I'm paraphrasing this. But my question to you is how could an economy – not an investment of silver, but how can an economy be monetized by metals? Gold doesn't circulate a lot. It's bought and held and silver is used up so fast. How are we going to start an economy or have an economy that's outside of a corruption system? If something's in short supply, how do we monetize an economy that's not a corrupt economy? The one thing that that really I think needs to be addressed here is that the amount of so-called money in existence today is far in excess of anything it can possibly represent. 
the creation of increase in the money supply has rendered the money supply as useless. If I've heard it described the other day that if the dollars that were in circulation today were to be backed up by the available gold, and that is just the reported holdings by the U.S. government, if the U.S. government's gold were to back up the U.S. government's currency, that gold would have to be somewhere in the $64,000, $65,000 an ounce range. That's not going to happen. Right. What very well may happen is that as we see individual corporations and possibly whole sectors crash and burn, there's going to be a great destruction of so-called wealth. People are going to get hurt. There is just no way around it. Those who have understood what's happening have the opportunity, I do believe it's a short one, to hedge that or mitigate that risk. And that's really what we're all talking about here is mitigation of risk. There's no way to see every possible outcome and prepare for it. But those that are blatantly in our face, we certainly should pay attention to. And what is blatantly in our face is that the currency supply is ridiculously over-monetized. So we have just way too much in circulation. Well, the Fed isn't even reporting it anymore. I mean, remember, I think it was 2008 or right. six. they said they're not going to report M6? M1. M- or, or was yeah. it M2? <laughs> Maybe one it's M3. M. It's one of the M's, but basically it's the money supply. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. so, so basically they, they said it wasn't, you know, cost effective and, and it was basically <laughs> an irrelevant number. So, yeah. Uh, so the- it is irrelevant because its value is now rendered irrelevant, but... What I found really poignant was the consideration of the amount of labor and uh, resources that are available, and when basically understood in the terms of, of metal, uh, that there was certainly enough metal to represent what was around it. That would have to change the value of the currency that the metal is denominated in. I think it's very likely that both gold and silver and other uh, industrial metals, possibly platinum, palladium, we'll see an absolute ridiculous surge in price, followed by a crash of the entire system, which will then be a reevaluated price when the dust settles. We may go from a $5,000 an ounce of, of silver to a dollar an ounce, and a dollar actually become meaningful again. And this is the investment conundrum in the metals arena, isn't it? It is, and I have people ask me that all the time. Well, if the dollar crashes, what can I possibly trade for my metal? And I go back to my, uh, you know, my Navy experience. Uh, there's going to be something around which will be in circulation as a functional currency. It may not be the dollar. It may be. But yeah, and I, I suspect it'll actually be metal at some point, especially once people are aware to the fact of how scarce silver is in relationship to our technological age and how needed silver is to run this world. Um, you know, as we pointed out, you know, if, if, if gold vanished from existence today, we would still operate. But if silver vanished, it would be lights out across the board. So, you know, we're seeing a manipulated price of silver right now. We don't know what the free market price of silver is. Once the other shoe drops, there's billions, hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars and, and other currencies on the sidelines waiting for that opportunity, waiting to see where they're going to invest those funds. Just, just 
a fraction, say 1% of, of all that money that's sitting on the sidelines right now today moves into the silver market, it's over. It, it, there's no more silver, and we will see an exponential moonshot in the price of silver um, because you've got makers, producers of all these gizmos and gadgets and military weaponry all needing and vying for that same uh, asset that is, that is uh, you know, in limited supply. So we have way too many uh, paper dollars out there and uh, too little supply of silver. And once the other shoe drops, look out. It's, uh, it, you know, it's going to go up very quick. You know, we could see $20 up days in silver. This is going to sound funny, but gentlemen, we're in a golden opportunity for a big investment in silver that makes it affordable to the average person. That's really what you're saying, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I I foresee a far overshoot in the price of silver, uh, which meaning is that it's it's nowhere close to where its equilibrium is. Um, I feel that it's going to, we're going to see the biggest bubble in history in gold and silver and predominantly in silver because it has so much room to go in comparison to gold. But, but yeah, we're going to see fortunes made in the silver market uh, for those that are, that are, that see the writing on the wall and position, position themselves before the, the bomb goes off as, you know, as illustrated in the silver bomb. Christopher, do you want to respond to that? I do. I wanted to say one other thing about metals prices, which is uh, you've discussed, Tim, the manipulation of the market. Yes. Uh, we see a repeated pattern of uh, natural price discovery bringing the prices slowly up, 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 and then uh, dramatic downturn events, which many people are convinced are large, naked, open, short position holders, uh, essentially throwing money away to dump metal at low prices in order to act as a proxy for yes. the central bank to hide the weakness of the underlying currency, whatever the denominated currency is, a dollar over here. Uh, now, here's, here's a very interesting phenomenon. The metal prices are being manipulated. The dollar value is being manipulated, the interest rates are, are being manipulated to keep the apparent strength of the dollar. We see an apparent increase in the power of the dollar with respect to foreign currencies. And I think that is a temporary uh, flight to safety uh, based upon the Eurozone troubles right now. But uh, currently we do see an apparent, underlying apparent, strengthening of the dollar. All of these things are combining to make metal prices look lower than they really are. And all you got to do is look at gold as denominated in other currencies and, and to see that, uh, you know, worldwide, uh, increase, if you will, in the amount of yens and euros and, and renminbi that are required to buy, you know, an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver. That, change is being hidden by the uh, basically money printing expansion of the of the of the m3 money supply over here uh, this liquidity injection month by month which is 
overall hiding the strength of, of, of the precious metal. And that, you know, whenever, uh, whenever the, let me say, uh, the CFTC, the FBI, and the SEC finally wrap up their investigations, which have been uh, going on more than two years now with respect to the manipulation in the metals markets, particularly uh, investigating J.P. Morgan Chase, and HSBC for for huge naked open short uh, fraud fraudulent trades. That you know whether or not it is brought out fully into the public view, it really doesn't matter. What it's done and what it will do going into the future will be to increase the amount of scrutiny in the metals markets. Now that may not even be needed if the real uh, price fixing power does shift toward the new monetary power centers of the East, such as the London Metals Exchange acquisition by the Hong Kong Merck, having an effect on price fixing. Uh, that would remove the manipulation power from the hands of those here in the West. We hope. And uh, it, well, even if it even if it does not, the formula is still inescapable that with a manipulated currency with manipulated interest rates, with manipulated metals markets, we are still seeing increases in the denominated price of metal. They can't hide it. They can't keep it they can't keep it under the rock. I mean it is it's leaking out underneath the and between their fingers. It's like it's like uh, trying to hold water in your hands, I guess. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I just want to take a minute or two and share with you that we really appreciate you listening and sharing with your friends and loved ones and colleagues. And if you like the show, show it. Write something really cool, really nice on It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes. We have our own store there. And like our Facebook page. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, feel free to do that. We send a bi-monthly newsletter out. And if you like it, share it with all your friends. Another thing we wanted to share with you is that somebody stepped in and started to do transcriptions for us. We have some transcriptions already done. If you would be interested, please drop us a line. We will be posting the transcriptions that are ready for sale. That's another way to assist the show. And for those of you who are in a position to donate $10 a month or $20 a month or more, please do so. Action speaks louder than words. We appreciate you. And thanks again for listening to It's Rainmaking Time. And back to the show. Tough question in the sense that the answer seems obvious, but it's not obvious to many people. Many people assume that we live in a free marketplace. I asked James Turk, does he feel that we live in a free marketplace and that the free market really exists? Now, I'm not going to tell you his answer. But I'd like to know your answer, each one of you, starting with Michael, and particularly with regard to the ability to do shorts, and particularly also with naked short selling, high-frequency trading, the derivatives market. Do we live in an economic free market? What is your take, Michael? No. We haven't lived in in a free market since 1913. You know, when when you have an agency at the top of the pile – uh, or setting the in, the foundation for the world financial system, uh, manipulating and controlling, uh, you know the the value of the U.S. dollar. Everything on top of that has been grown from that. So when you have a fraud, 
a secret society, such as the Federal Reserve, at the base of everything, everything from it financially uh, is grown from a fraud. So hence, everything from that has has grown, uh, you know, in the same manner. So, you know, there's nowhere that you can look in the financial agency that, that hasn't spawned from that. So, uh, yeah, sh- you know, short answer to the question, you know, no, we, we do not live in a free market. It's been an illusion of a free market. Um, it's It's just propaganda and talk, but there is no free market. Christopher? I, I would uh, back the timeline up a little further than 1913, but I would in, be in full agreement. Uh, I believe that any time that you have uh, central issuing authority put in the hands of banks, as Thomas Jefferson alluded to, you don't have a free market. Uh, you had mentioned a, par- a part of the book where we talked about the what what we've come to be taught was a natural phenomenon known as the business cycle, where you would have economic strengthening to the point of boom, and then a natural deleveraging and uh, depreciation of the market in a bust cycle, a boom and bust cycle, the business cycle. We've taught that it's the natural market cycle. But we've seen very clearly how free lending from the top, from the central banks, through all all member banks and all other financial institutions, creates an, an increase in credit expansion, which then can be immediately nipped in the bud at at a certain chosen point, at the whim and and at the uh, the choice of those who control the interest rates, that they can then cease lending and end any boom cycle that 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 can be immediately deflated or popped by cutting off lending and if you just choke if you choke the uh, finances out from underneath an economy any increases or strengthening in in it are are lost and i think we're looking at that again i mean right now we're we're told that we're in a deleveraging cycle that that we're in a recovery uh that we were too far expanded in in our credit particularly mortgage credit and that we are backing up now and taking a look at the books and getting things back in financial order that we are regrouping with lowered debt. That is absolutely fallacious. We have increased credit in every sector. Uh, to this day, uh, every bank in the land is panting for anybody to take out some of their new low-interest loans. And that will continue, and as, you know, People will be people if they're if they're offered something they're going to take it and we're going to see the entire uh, ninja loan liar loan cycle created all over again. There's just no way around it. For one thing, our economy must increase in debt in order to continue. That's something we haven't even discussed and don't have time to discuss. But the idea is inescapable. Without ever more debt, our economy crashes. That's just the way it's built. There's there's no way that we can back up or deleverage, and any claims that we're doing so are simply untrue. That's profound. Both of what you said is profound. You know how in financial circles people will say, let the market do what it will. Stop intervening in the market. The market will do what it needs to do, like as if the market is organic. 
Do you agree, gentlemen, that the market that people are referring to when they say that is not the same market that was 100 years ago or 50 years ago? In other words, it's now totally synthetic. Oh, absolutely. When we point to the market, we have to even define what we're talking about because we're not talking about what we think we're talking about anymore. It's something totally different, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, you know, we, we are, you know, I talk to people every day and also family members that they just don't want to necessarily wake up to the illusion. They don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to open up the Federal Reserve. They don't want to open up the, the corruption. They don't want to talk about it. They want to still live in that comfortable illusion that, you know, all of this is working for them and it's going to continue to work. You know, it's the norm, normalcy bias, you know, they're comfortable. And I think that they're inherently scared of, uh, calling the pot black. So yeah, so we're, we're, we're stuck in this, uh, normalcy, normalcy bias that's, uh, you know, comfortable and the market isn't what we thought it was, uh, you know, even five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, I don't know if you can elaborate on, on that, Christopher. Yeah. I wanted to say that, uh, what is it that everybody is waiting for right now? waiting for the jobs report. They're waiting for the end of the quarter report. We're waiting for government say-so as to what the condition of things are. And more than that, the markets react to announcements from that central issuing authority of the Federal Reserve System, where the stock market reacted wildly following the announcement that the QE3 would go forward with a $45 billion a month MBS purchases. Uh, metal prices went crazy after that. So here we have prices and markets reacting to the announcements from a single agency, not buyers and sellers coming together and finding natural prices. This is a good deal for both of us. This works out. This is an equitable trade. But we have markets which are waiting for the actions or inactions of a central issuing banking authority, a completely twisted view of market behavior. Uh, Not a twisted view, but a twisted behavior in the markets. I think you're being kind when you say a twisted behavior, because what it really is is criminal behavior. It it is criminal. It's licensed criminal behavior. Twisted on the part of those subject to it. Yes. Those at the top, I believe, are... (laughs) absolutely do for a comeuppance. But what I'm talking about is John and Jane Q. Public out here who are trying to figure out what to do with their money to preserve it and save it and listening intently as to whether or not the uh, announcement from the Fed is is going to be that we have a, a few more months before we have to raise the debt ceiling again or whether or not we have a few more months of liquidity cash injections to where uh, – the too big to fails don't come crashing down around our heads and bury us. In other words, we're all listening to announcements from this issuing agency and interest rate manipulating agency rather than taking cues from each other on supply and demand and delivery and all of the normal things or the things that go together in normal market price discovery. It's dead. It doesn't exist. It's based on this artificial completely twisted idea of what the Federal Reserve is going to do. 
It's really true. And we're at such a propitious time and such a short window to act. The average person, I'm sure, feels helpless and powerless, but they're not. We're really not, are we? No, we're really not. You've got the, the capacity right now to, if you will, take the bull by the horns. Michael is my my mentor here, just the absolute king of this idea. Uh, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. That is a lesson that many people are going to have to learn the hard way. Many people are going to have to actually be losing before they're going to be able to see this. It's It's perhaps part of normal human behavior that we don't want to pay attention to that that's unpleasant unless we have to. That destruction of wealth is going to be it's going to be tremendous. It's going to get the attention of a of a lot of people who are not directly involved. In other words, the waking up moment could be fast and furious. Not a slow yawn, but a dramatic eyes wide open understanding that we are off the cliff. You know, people have asked me all this last week, do I think we can be pull back from the financial cliff. I said, the financial cliff, that's in the rearview mirror. Uh, we are essentially treading air like the, uh, like the roadrunner in the cartoon. Uh, we, we simply haven't been overcome by gravity yet. We're off the cliff. There is no repairing this. But what there is is time enough to take your business into your own hands to question what you've been told by bankers, by fund managers, by accountants even. What evidence do you have that this is going to help me? Don't tell me what you think. Show me some evidence. And the evidence that we have is, for the past 15 years certainly, most notably illustrated by the last 10, that the only asset class that's holding its own is is precious metal. It's, It's not a not an opinion. It's just simply performance. And that is something that, you know, really needs to be part of the new awakening, if you will, is to pay attention to what you're being told. Don't blindly trust anymore because the, the ones that we've been taught to trust have proven themselves untrustworthy. It's time to put the trust in, in ourselves again, like our betters and predecessors did, mm-hmm. uh, to where you know, you were responsible for your own life and the outcome of it and could not depend upon a government. And something else that Thomas Jefferson said, again, I think he's the smartest man I've ever read. He said, a government that is big enough to give you everything that you want is strong enough to take it all away from you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with, learning from, and listening to Michael McDonald and Christopher Whitestone. Michael McDonald is the owner of the Wholesale Gold Group and the author, along with Christopher Whitestone, of The Silver Bomb, The End of Paper Wealth is Upon Us, Beyond the Return of Metal as Money. Gentlemen, it's such a pleasure to talk with you, and it's so instructive I'd really like to invite you back to talk with me and to share with the audience about your views of prosperity and cooperation. Um, I would love to. We've certainly only scratched the surface. Yes, indeed. It was such a divine pleasure. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Well, thank you, Kim. And and also, I'd I'd like to just add, be your own central banker, but also be prepared. Get, Get some storable food, storable water, exit strategy. These are all insurance policies because as this paradigm changes into the next, 
we're going to need not only silver coins and gold coins, but we're going to need food and water. So Google emergency supplies and get some on hand. Ladies and gentlemen, you can go to wholesalegoldgroup.com and also go to thesilverbomb.com and pick up the book. Gentlemen, thank you. I look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much. Thank you.